For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Governor Kevin Stitt kicks off the 57th legislature with his first State of the State address. There's a lot to unravel in this speech, so I just wanted to get your initial thoughts. Neva, let's start with you. Well, I think my initial thought is that it was a well-crafted, well-delivered speech that really uh, had a lot of realism in it, but also a lot of optimism. I think it really uh, matched much of what, as we've talked about before, he articulated on the campaign trail. But now, as the governor of the state of Oklahoma, he began to put some real definition to how he wants to move forward with his administration, a lot of the specifics that we can talk about. But all in all, I think uh, uh, oftentimes we have low expectations or almost no expectations of a state of the state or a state of of the union address. And in this instance, I think there was some anticipation to see really where the governor uh, would begin to um, uh, show his demeanor and how he really is going to uh, uh, exert his leadership style. And here's here's someone by his own, kind of by his own definition, is uh, a conservative businessman, a proven leader, and a political outsider. And I think we saw all of those dimensions of his personality and, and makeup now as the governor come through in some of what uh, he articulated in, in the state of the state. Ryan. Well, and this is Governor Stitt's first opportunity to stand in front of this legislature. This, and it's a, you think about the legislative makeup as well. You have 46 new lawmakers in the House, 12 in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Two thirds of state lawmakers right now, I think thereabouts, have two or fewer years experience. You have a brand new governor walking into this building and he's walking into this situation where on the heels of revenue increases from last year, um, the budget's probably in better situation than it's been in a long time, still very far from where we need to be in terms of revenue and investing in state services. Um, but more than anything else, one of the things that he didn't say, I think, is, is most important, and that is to telegraph that the idea of that the revenues that came in last year are going away. Um, you know, I, I think that he sent a signal that he doesn't want to touch those revenues. He sent a signal that gross production tax in and of itself isn't the best way to fund government, that the up and down, the volatility of the oil and gas market, which we're going to see with the uh, the revenue uh, numbers that are going to come in later to talk about what the legislature can actually appropriate this year that's going to be affected by oil and gas revenues. But he didn't talk about new investments he didn't or new revenues that he was going to raise. And that does beg the question of how is he going to pay for some of the things that he wants to pay for. Another thing that he mentioned that I think is really interesting is that he didn't take Medicaid expansion totally off the table. Um, he seemed to predicate it upon an audit of the Oklahoma Health Care Authority. That's interesting. We'll see what comes back from that audit. Maybe if he feels like he has a better picture of what's happening there, a better picture of how the executive, the governor, can hold the health care authority accountable, we may see Medicare expansion on the table at some point. Now, I know that that's a big part of the Democrats' agenda. Governor Stitt seemed to say that you know, we're concerned that if we uh, invest in Medicaid expansion at the state level, that we could end up in a situation where the federal government rolls those dollars back. But that's true with any sort of federal investment, whether it's transportation or education. So there, uh, the revenues from last year are safe. Medicaid expansion, 
a possibility with this government. Well, I think one of the interesting points on Medicaid expansion was the point that he made that he is the only governor in the United States that doesn't have direct control of the hiring and firing of the person over that entity or agency, such as we have in Oklahoma with the health care authority. So I think it, it, it speaks to that larger issue of how he wants to be able to have a hands-on direct involvement in saying, here are the folks that need to be in charge, and then ultimately the buck stops at my desk, which he made that point. And I got to say, he, uh, yes, is might be a political newcomer, but he's certainly no newcomer to public speaking. I think that his his presence at the podium, I think, was was probably the best I'd heard in, in, in many, many, many years. I would agree that it was uh, it was well delivered. Well, it was a thoughtful presentation. And I think what we saw in Governor Stitt is someone who comes in, as as you say, into a legislature, into a group of uh, political leaders, uh, uh, many of whom do not have many years under their belt. But I think the tone was, and, and he made it very clear, that it would be a bipartisan, it would be a bipartisan effort as long as all of the lawmakers uh, chose to uh, to endeavor in that endeavor in that regard. And I think that was refreshing. I mean, there was no attempt to uh, to be strident or to pick fights, but rather to engage in in kind of the overall look at where we are. And I think he also showed a real command of where we are in relation to uh, the facts and statistics, not only nationally, but it, but to neighboring states and pointed out some specifics that I thought really drove that point home well. And, well, and well, he talked a lot about transparency. I think that mm-hmm. under Governor Fallon, uh, the there was a, lo- a lack of transparency. We saw folks from across the political spectrum dealing with month-long, sometimes years-long delays in complying with open records requests, a real effort at keeping things close to the vest. This, If, if Governor Stead is true to his word that he really wants to uh, manage government by some metrics, and I mean, we, we heard a lot about this idea we want to have metrics, we want to have deliverables, we want to know what's expected of our agencies and, and how they're performing with regard to those goals. Now, an area where we're going to need some transparency or what are those metrics? And, you know, I'm not saying that he's, you know, we don't expect that in a state of the state address, but as this legislative se- legislative session moves on and as the Stitt administration matures into its new role, um, maybe we get to see what those metrics are because those metrics in and of themselves are going to drive a lot of policymaking decisions. They are, pol- you know, we can't just say we're going to divorce policy and politics from numbers because numbers, you know, what numbers you choose to govern your state by that's a policy choice. And I think I think that in looking at that, he really made made the case that he wants to be able to bring in Oklahomans across the board from all walks of life and expertise to engage in being involved in this process. So I think I think that uh, by laying it out from day one in his vision casting that he does want the transparency and accountability uh, in government, I think he he has set the stage for knowing almost from day one what he wants his legacy as he said looking back what he wants it to be and that's a real that's a real uh, strong roadmap for any leader uh, either either in the private sector or in in the public sector to uh, launch and kind of head out from and i think the other point is i mean he made he made uh, uh, oftentimes on the campaign trail, he talked about, you know, having 165 field offices with his um, gateway mortgage company. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's someone who understands how to grow something, understands that when you do grow something quickly uh, and successfully, that there are a lot of moving parts to that.
that that you have to rein in and make sure that you're aware of. And I think knowing that and understanding from the budget process, he made the point that of the agencies and the and the dollars that they were able to identify, uh, that's how many of those uh, um, you know many of those things uh, came about in terms of the specifics in his state of the state. But I th- I think the the backstop to that is what any governor would find in this in in this day and time is the fact that we have so much that they can't mire through yet and i think i think to uh, to be in a position where agency heads in the past have kind of been the stopgap to that and kind of said you know no this is all you get to know or <laughs> there's not to, here here here's the information and take it and do with it what you want i think we're going to see a very different atmosphere uh, very quickly as we uh, as we move through not only this first week of the legislative session, but on into uh, the months to come. The criminal justice reform was one of the big uh, topics of this. Uh, Ryan, I know it's it's one of your uh, mainstays that you wanted to see something done. So well, he wants to, he wants to do something. Yeah, glad glad that it made the mention. I think that the the mention was weak on any real sort of details. He talked about redemption. He, he's you know talking about investing in women in recovery. A million uh, yeah. five investment in women in recovery. Great program. Not enough. I mean, it's what we really need to be focusing on in terms of criminal justice reform is not just investing in services for people that have been caught up in the criminal justice system, but reexamining why people get caught up in that system to begin with. Far too many people at the, uh, you know, if we, you know, Oklahoma is a state that likes underdogs. Uh, you know, we, we love an underdog. The biggest underdog in the state of Oklahoma is the person accused of a crime and who is at the beck and call of any district attorney or assistant district attorney in the state of Oklahoma. They have a tremendous amount of leverage over that individual. So we have folks that sometimes didn't do anything that are pleading guilty to crimes going into the criminal justice system, maybe getting a deferred sentence, but then they have all these conditions for years and ultimately they either run out of money or they don't comply because guess what? They're human beings. And if any of us were under that microscope, we'd probably not comply. They end up in prison. And so Governor Stitt talking about how are we going to, you know, not only make sure that when people get out of prison, that they have a second chance, we really need to be talking about how do we keep people from going to prison in the first place and getting some of those folks that are currently there out. And that's retroactivity. There's an opportunity for the legislature to put some bills on his desk this but, year. But in his in his view of reimagining government, as he talks about, the fact that the criminal justice reform was the third, really the third item that uh, came uh, came out in his state of the state, right behind the executive branch reform, which is central to kind of all of the conversation that he wants to have with regard to his role as governor, and education <coughs> funding and achievement. I'm, I think that we see that it is a high priority focus. And while we don't have specifics, I don't think anyone expects, particularly when you look at just the number of bills alone that we have now floating through the legislative process on criminal justice reform. I mean, there's a lot to take place. Uh, Some of it, I think, will take place this session. Certainly, it will go on in future sessions to come. But I think uh, what is uh, important to take away is that he picked areas where he knew that it was either a high priority uh, for his administration and certainly something that mirrored what the uh, uh, four million Oklahomans, as he Mm -hmm. likes to refer to, uh, what they, you know, what they have a real uh, interest and hope to see realized. Well, and I, and I, don't get me wrong, I am, I am incredibly grateful that the governor included this in the state of the state. You know, 
one of a handful of priorities that receive top-level attention that address, that is a big deal. I think moving forward, though, it is incredibly important that if Governor Stitt really wants to be this outsider, that he has to stop listening, to, or not stop, he has to not do what a lot of politicians do in that building. They walk in there talking about criminal justice reform, and then they start getting advice from the very people that have broken our criminal justice system, the district attorneys. And so if he is going to be this outsider, then he should he should look at this if, as a business person. If you're, if you're running a business and you've got a branch of your business that's collapsing and causing you all sorts of pain and woe, and they're coming to you and giving you advice on how to fix their broken mess, but you don't listen to them. That's say, true. We bring in other people. And so there needs to be other people at the table. And, I do, and I do think that there at least appears to be this atmosphere where they are trying to bring a wider and wider group of people in in all of these areas of government and get input. I mean, I, I think it's not a closed door process. I think people that have big ideas, new ideas, uh, uh, concerns, issues, I think they have an opportunity to have their voice heard. And until someone shows that that's not the case, I think it, it gives great uh, hope and optimism that many of these issues, and, and whether it's a criminal justice reform or funding for correction workers, which he put in that uh, kind of that top yeah, list, Medicaid deal. expansion, which we've talked about as at least a conversation that needs to uh, uh, be discussed just for the sheer numbers that we're talking about and and where we are now in the growth of Medicaid uh, funding, uh, 11th in the country per, I think, uh, for a percentage of the state budget. I mean, uh, huge numbers, I mm-hmm. mean, in dollars. Um, but then I think beyond the, the transparency in the budget budgeting and other things, I think the fact that he talked about the quick closing fund and the fact mm-hmm. that he felt like he had, uh, he brought in the best talent in the state to lead us uh, in the Commerce Department and really wanting to be proactive and aggressive at going after new business, expanding business, bringing the, uh, bringing uh, uh, kind of Oklahoma back to the forefront in terms of uh, uh, having innovators and job creators really take a look at us seriously. And he said, look, I'm a guy that can talk that talk. I'm a guy that can make that, uh, make that pitch because I have been one of those folks. So uh, I, th- I think it was a very balanced and a very uh, uh, not not an overreaching um, uh, kind of uh, layout of, of what he wanted to do as governor, but something that was constructive and something that actually has, again, some realism and some possibilities that he can actually come back a year from now and be able to point to some very, uh, uh, very uh, recognizable and verifiable results in these areas. House and Senate Democrats released their agenda for the coming legislative session. The minority party wants to focus on more money to schools, expanding Medicaid, criminal justice reform, and increasing the minimum wage. Ryan, your thoughts on these items? Well, and I think that there's there's some room to work here. I mean, the Republicans are going to, if, if Republican leadership wants to pass things like Medicaid expansion, if Governor Stitt decides this is what we've got to do for Oklahoma, if we're going to have criminal justice reform legislation that really has some teeth to it and you know not only makes Oklahoma Oklahomans safer, but spends our money better and better reflects our values of who should and shouldn't be in the criminal justice system. Uh, if we're if we're going to invest in schools in a way that doesn't just you know give teachers a few hundred dollars more a month, but also make sure that the textbooks that their students are using and the money that they've got to put out of pocket, they're going to need Democrats at the table because I you know as I, I think that. We saw from this last election cycle a handful of Republicans uh, that stood in stark opposition to those uh, those ideas. They got defeated. Now they're still there, and it's still a hard row uh, for them to move forward on if if they want to do it all alone. And so I think that the Democrats out there talking about 
rural hospitals. I mean, there's there's the there's the disconnect right there between voters and uh, and the way that they're casting their ballots and, and their values reflected at the Capitol. Rural Oklahomans overwhelmingly voting for uh, Republicans who either say they won't expand Medicaid or, in Governor Stitt's case, have been ambivalent about it. Um, and rural hospitals are the ones that are suffering the most. And so you've got Democrats out there fighting for a constituency that hasn't voted for them in a while. I think the interesting thing on Medicaid expansion will be that it has to be a different type of dialogue uh, with Republicans and Democrats if it really gets some serious traction at the at the legislature and, and some conversation uh, in the administration, because there are states that have uh, uh, that the results show that it's been a disaster to take uh, to take the to take the money. And yet there are other states that apparently have uh, have made some caveats and done some things to you know to put in place some protections so that if that money does in fact go away which everyone says no it wouldn't but if it should would there be would there be the uh, uh, kind of the safe safety net and safeguards in place to be able to buffer that and I think those are conversations that never really got fully uh, kind of uh, folded into the to the larger dialogue in years past so I think I think it's not just a either or proposition it's going to have to be something where people, come to the table and say, if we can go down this road, how will it look and how will it look different than any of the previous conversations? So I think that's and that's where Democrats uh, can 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 have that voice at the table, I think. But it cannot be this meat axe approach on either side. And I think when you look at the numbers, Republicans, by and large, uh, uh, because we're not going to look at uh, tax increase measures or uh, something in all likelihood in this session, uh, their numbers will not be um, their numbers will be significant if they're coming to together to do things in a very strong bipartisan fashion. And Democrats are, are following along the same line of, of Kevin Sitton basically saying, look, uh, the, doing these things, uh, expanding Medicaid, increasing the minimum wage is the way to make Oklahoma a top 10 state. Absolutely. It's it's not just about if, if we want to be a top 10 state, you know, we can have a closing fund and we can try to recruit businesses here. But frankly, uh, trying to undervalue ourselves to win businesses so that we just can, you know, say, check a box and say, we've got some jobs here. You know, are they good jobs? Where are they going? And if you look in rural Oklahoma right now, you know, I know that Governor Stitt talked a lot about, you know, hope and opportunity and that people are excited about our state of Oklahoma uh, the, or the direction of our state right now. And there are some folks like that. I mean, I, I live in Oklahoma City. I, you know, I, I go to, uh, you know, Midtown and, and you, you got all this really great growth and everything looks really promising. And it's, and it's sometimes hard to distinguish that from places like, uh, you know, Denver or Austin. But when you go to rural Oklahoma, you know, when I travel to my hometown of Seminole, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of desperation, and there's a lot of dilapidation in, in those rural areas of the state. You know, Emily Virgin, the leader of the House Democratic Caucus, she said there are rural citizens driving 100 miles to have a baby. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, we, for a state that says that we, we value the, uh, the, the youngest among us, you know, well, you got to drive 100 miles to have a child. That's, that's incredible. Um, and so there are a lot of Oklahomans right now that are being left behind. And those folks that are being left behind become more and more susceptible to the cause of, you know, nationalism or prejudice or whatever that is. And you know, we're, we're seeing that play out in national politics, but it's right here in our own backyard. But we, but the other side of that coin is when you have a 194% increase, I think it is, from since 2002 or three in Medicaid's 
in, in Medicaid uh, spending that we're up over $2 billion. I mean, we're talking such big numbers that no one, no one uh, uh, wants to recruit industry or recruit business into a state where we don't have a, 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 a good lifestyle, a good, a good uh, education system, uh, proper health care delivery systems. I mean, all of the things mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So they all go hand in glove. And I think that's where having this conversation and making sure we don't just make it one dimension, rise or fall, but make it part of a continuum of conversation that is really about what is best for all Oklahomans and dealing with what's happening in rural Oklahoma is a significant part of that without question. Rural Oklahoma needs hospitals. I mean, if you're, if you're a small town right now and you don't have a but hospital. But they need people. I mean, you, well, you, you they, can't, they you can't have and, hospitals yeah. for so few people that you can't keep the doors open. I mean, we have to revitalize. I mean, the other conversation is, and it's not just agriculture, which is a significant component of, of that equation in rural Oklahoma, but you have to be able to uh, make those economies more vibrant and more uh, sustainable uh, and not just pump dollars in just to make sure that the that the 14-bed the hospital or whatever that small hospital stays open even though those services are viable and needed we have to figure out a way to make make them uh where we can af- where we can afford to sustain them long term a former representative kevin calvey is stirring up trouble in his new job as oklahoma county commissioner on saturday calvey and 17 other people showed up for a surprise inspection the group included an oklahoma county district judge the party was refused entry by sheriff pd taylor for safety reasons a fellow commissioner called Calvi's actions a manufactured drama and political posturing. Neva, what do you think of Calvi's actions? Well, I think I think this is a. It looks like a terrible hissing contest uh, for no for no real reason. I mean, it, it, when you start to sort out the facts and hear everybody's side, I mean, here we have a situation where you have a new county, newly elected county commissioner, uh, a district judge. Uh, the county commissioner has notified the legal counsel at the sheriff's office that they want to come in on. X Saturday, they want to do a count. Uh, here's the time we'd like to do it. Um, um, and this was uh, kind of put in place. They show up, and here's this, uh, hey, you know, here's this uh, parade of all of these additional individuals. Well, it is a it is a, a secure facility, and it makes sense that uh, you know that the that the sheriff and his folks would have some angst. Clearly, the uh, the elected commissioner, uh, the, the uh, district judge, these folks have their issues that they that they want sorted out but to go at it with this kind of back and forth uh, who can ambush whom I mean in terms of uh, public perception really serves no good purpose so hopefully they'll they'll not continue to just have this as a uh, the beginning of an ongoing festering fight but rather get to the get to the real facts because as we all know, the Oklahoma County Jail is an ongoing uh, issue and problem and discussion for county county government, and uh, they need to do a better job of trying to try, trying to sort through this. Ryan, we're here. <coughs> Former Representative uh, Calvi and Commissioner Calvi. Now, he and I are. I, uh, He's no stranger folks, to this podcast. No stranger to this podcast, and and no stranger to me. Uh, you know, he and I have disagreed on just about everything, uh, and over you know almost a decade now of knowing and and debating one another as, as lawmakers and as pundits or whatever you want to, or as lobbyists uh, out at the Capitol. Um, but I got to tell you, his fight on criminal justice reform and his insistence on transparency and his 
challenging of the folks that are running this jail, uh, I think are incredibly important. And, you know, I, I think that if it is a stunt, then guess what? You know, maybe what we need right now are a few stunts by elected officials to put their uh, put their titles on the line and show up and say, I want to I want to know what's going on here. The, the Oklahoma County Jail is not only a liability for the county, um, but it's also a cesspool of folks that uh, ought not have to be there. We have a you know, if we want to talk about the headcount, that headcount could be a heck of a lot smaller if we had cash bail reform. The number of people that are sitting in that jail right now that not that shouldn't be there uh, is enormous. I, I would say that it's well over a majority of the people sitting in that county jail. They're only there because they can't afford to bail out. Up until and that last, could be changed with certain state laws that, that are going be, on right that, now. Yeah, there's a, there's a real effort right now to keep folks out of that county jail that need not be there. There's an entire bail industry right now that supports itself on on bail schedules. You get arrested, and it's not a matter of are you a flight risk, which is the biggest deal. Are you a threat to somebody's public safety? It's a matter of whether you can pay and get yourself out. So you got people that are sitting in that jail for months that are innocent. And this is the United States. You're innocent until proven guilty. Right now, we're moving to the system of innocent or guilty upon arrest. And they're sitting in there. They can't afford to bail out. They're losing their jobs. They're losing connection with their families. And you know, sometimes they don't have the medication that they need. Sometimes they're, mental, they're getting mental health conditions or exacerbating them uh, after they've, they've gone in. And so bringing attention to the county jail and the problems that are there, you know, if, if it's a stunt, so be it. I'll, I'm sure I'll disagree with Representative Calvi on, on any number of things, you know, tomorrow or even yesterday, but right now. I, I think they had the opportunity to go to the jail, have that conversation, have that, uh, uh, have that tour. But when you bring in a dozen, 15, 16, whatever additional number of people that no one knew were coming, and then you want to go through a facility that's a lockdown facility, I mean, from a safety standpoint, I mean, the point that was made, and I would think even Judge Trong would be, uh, you know, would be sensitive to the fact, I mean, here you could be in a pod with 120 or 140 uh, locked up prisoners, and you may have been the very person who put some of those people, you you know, uh, potentially behind bars. So I, I think that I, I think that that the the overarching conversation that you just described, Ryan, those are the details and those are the things that have to be kind of fought fought for, addressed, and debated back and forth. Was this a good way to do anything but to get a front page story headline? I, I would question that it uh, may have set that conversation back a little bit rather than move it forward. Ryan Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.